in Luke chapter 2, maybe the most detailed account of Jesus' birth, uh, Luke records that Jesus was born at night. And Jesus could have been born anytime God ordained him to be born, but I think it was extremely significant that uh, symbolically it was a testament that in the midst of darkness the light has come. I think that's the reason Jesus was born at at night and uh, why there is so much imagery in the Christmas story about light. I want to invite you, actually we're going to talk about that uh, this Thursday night at our Christmas Eve service, so encourage you to come. Uh, That'll be a good time at 5 o'clock. Luke chapter 2. Mary and Joseph come to Bethlehem. Uh, Jesus is born in the midst of the night. We believe that because the announcement is made to the shepherds. And I want you to get this scene in your in your mind that the shepherds are in fields outside of the little village of Bethlehem. I need you to begin to paint some mental pictures because we're going to talk about those. The little village of Bethlehem and outside in the fields that night the shepherds are out there and the announcement is made by the angels. They go into the city to see the Christ child who has been born. As we read on in Luke's 2's account, uh, they circumcised the child on the eighth day after the 40 days of impurity for, for Mary. They go into Jerusalem. I need, I need you to get this in your mind also. That Bethlehem is about, I don't know, five or six miles south of Jerusalem. Jerusalem's where the temple is. And uh, after 40 days, Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus make the journey that five miles into Jerusalem to the temple. And there they sacrifice. And there are two people that we encounter, only recorded in Luke's gospel, and that is Simeon and Anna. And they are the people that I have said symbolize what we kind of want to talk about this Christmas season, this being a a season of anticipation. Simeon, Anna, live lives of holy anticipation. In different ways, different stories. There's contrast between the two characters. But both of them live lives of holy anticipation in which they were waiting in faith and hoping for something greater. That's the way I began to describe it last week, and that's what I want you to get with the sense of anticipation. That holy anticipation is waiting in faith and hoping for something greater. Simeon's story is about 11 verses. Anna's is 3. And it says in Luke 2, uh, 36, 37, and 38, here's Anna's story. And I, I want you to notice the details to the story. In many ways, 
Anna's story has more details than Simeon's story has. It says, now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, and that instant is when Simeon prophesies about the Christ child who has come into the temple. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord. And here it is. And spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. And actually that, that, that verb looked for redemption is the same word that is translated waited or waiting in verse 25 when it says of Simeon that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. It's that same sense. She spoke of him to all those who looked, waited, anticipated redemption in Jerusalem. Uh, there's a lot of details to that story. There's, there's a lot in those three verses. We're not going to spend a long time with them. <laughs> The best way I can help you understand the significance of those verses is to understand the backstory. There's a backstory to Anna's story. And the only way to understand her details is to understand the details of the backstory. I had to think about this this week. But really, this is what I need you to do. I need you to, to begin to, to make some mental notes about some things. Because in Anna's story, all of these old stories from the centuries before come to a climax. They all come together in Anna's story. And here it is. I need you to go back with me in the Old Testament to the book of Ruth. And it's interesting how the story actually picks up from what we talked about the shepherds because then the the shepherds are outside the fields of Bethlehem uh, and there's a there's a reason that that Jesus was born in Bethlehem it is the city of David uh, anyhow I'm getting ahead of myself the book of Ruth is kind of where David's story picks up at least in the biblical account Many of you remember the, the story of Ruth. It's only four chapters long. But here's the story of Ruth. And you've got, you got to get this because this is the backstory to our story today. Um, Naomi and Ruth become widows in the first chapter of Ruth. They're widows. And Ruth is from Bethlehem. Naomi is not. She's from Moab. In fact, I would describe her today, Ruth is an outsider. Um, and there's the, their whole story there, but their husbands die. 
They have no children, no sons, no children. And Naomi and Ruth come back to Bethlehem. They are widows, which means in their society that they are helpless. Quite honestly, they are hopeless. Widows who are helpless and hopeless. They come at a time when there is a barley, the barley harvest is going on, and Naomi sends Ruth into the fields. Uh, and by the providence of God, she begins to pick up what is left over from the harvesters in a, the fields of a man by the name of Boaz. This is a lot of backstory, it really is. Um, and Boaz discovers that Ruth, the outsider, the Moabite woman who has been faithful to uh, Naomi, her mother-in-law, even though the men have died, uh, he begins to take care of her and make sure that she has enough grain for them to sustain. And uh, he says to her, uh, may, the, may God grant you mercy. The one, here's the phrase, the one under whose wings you have taken refuge. Under whose wings you have taken refuge. And so, day by day, Boaz takes care of Ruth and in turn Naomi. But the story does not end there. Actually, Glenn Frank's not here. Glenn Frank, this is one of his favorite stories, and he and I have had these long conversations about the cultural appropriateness of what happens in this. Anyhow, I don't have time for that. This is what Naomi tells Ruth to do. You find out where Boaz is threshing the grain, and when he lays down at night, you go and you lay down at his feet, and then he will tell you, what to do from there and sure enough in the middle of the night Boaz is startled there's a woman under his feet and Ruth says this to Boaz he says what are you what are you asking of me and she said that you may take me under your wings that you may be oh what we discover in Ruth is the kinsman redeemer that you may bring up a lineage that their family would not cease to exist. And Boaz becomes the kinsman redeemer for Ruth in that line of Naomi's family, Elimelech, her husband. You're not going to believe this. Ruth and Boaz have a son by the name of Obed. The Bible says at the end of Ruth that Obed has a son and his name is Jesse. And Jesse has eight sons. The youngest of those is a little shepherd boy by the name of David. All this takes place in Bethlehem. You're not going to believe this story. Uh, but you really have to understand the backstory to understand our story today. And David, you're not going to believe this. David is a shepherd boy. And do you know where he tends his flock? 
outside the city of Bethlehem. But David doesn't stay a shepherd boy because Samuel anoints him king. And he becomes not just a king, but he becomes the great king. And eventually, David, as he establishes his kingdom, he moves from the south. And he moves the capital to a new city, Jerusalem. And the tabernacle is brought back there. It becomes the place of sacrifice. And eventually his son Solomon builds a permanent place of worship there. The temple on the temple mount. But it all started because David moved the place of worship there. And you've got to get this through the centuries then. And at one point the temple is destroyed. We'll talk about that Thursday night a little bit. The lambs that were sacrificed at the temple in Jerusalem, you're not going to believe this, were raised by the shepherds of Bethlehem. And the shepherds around Bethlehem would raise the sheep and those that were blameless would be taken that five to six miles from Bethlehem to Jerusalem to be sacrificed at the temple. And so the story begins to converge uh, in, the times of, in the time of Jesus and his birth. When Jesus is born in Bethlehem, the angels appear to the shepherds and the shepherds see the Christ child and then later Mary and Joseph take the Christ child that five to six mile journey from Bethlehem to Jerusalem and there they sacrifice and they encounter two people Simeon and Anna now I say all that so that you can understand Anna. This just occurred to me this week. The details of Anna's life are significant. And I want to cover them just, just very quickly this morning. It says in verse 36, Now there was one Anna, a prophetess. That meant that the Holy Spirit was operative in Anna's life. And at this point, the Holy Spirit had not been poured out on people. And so the Holy Spirit is only on certain people. Anna is one of those people. And the significance of the story is she has the spiritual intuition, insight, whatever you want to call it, that when the Christ child, the Messiah, comes to the temple, like Simeon, she knows. In fact, there's a contrast in the story. I didn't have time to even talk about this last Sunday. But in the midst of all of those religious people who surely should have known that the Christ had come to the temple, it's only Simeon. He's not a priest. He's not a prophet. He's not a Pharisee. He's not a Sadducee. It doesn't say that Simeon's anybody except that the Holy Spirit dwelt inside of him. It's only Simeon and Anna a prophetess who the Holy Spirit was operative in that recognized the Christ child when he came to the temple that day. 
She is the daughter of Fanuel. My joke this morning, we don't know Fanuel from Adam. I'm sorry, that's, that, that's a bad preacher joke, sort of. We know more about Adam. We don't know anything about Fanuel. It's like, why do you include that name? And I think there's a reason. The daughter of Fanuel of the tribe of Asher. Ah, uh, oh my. I want you to get this sense that Anna is an outsider. 900 years before this time, the Assyrians came and they captured Samaria and the 10 northern tribes of Israel and they scattered them. And those 10 northern tribes became known as the lost tribes of Israel. And God's focus focused on the two southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin, that became known just as Judah. And the reason we call those people Jews now is because they were of the tribe of Judah. That's all that was left. 900 years have passed. And all those people have been scattered. But somehow, Anna can still trace her lineage back to God's people. And I would, she is what I would describe as an outsider. Oh my, she is so far down the line there going, really, you're related to us? It says in verse 36, she was of great age. It tells us later she was 84 years of age. She lived with her husband since she got married and probably married as a teenager. Seven years. Um, it implies from the scripture she had no children. It, it, but she had been a widow since she was a young lady. Probably in her 20s. And now she is in her 80s. No, you got to get this. What did that mean? She was helpless and she was hopeless in their society. But what did she do? This is why I told all that previous story. She put herself under the wings of God's refuge. And she is as far a distant relative to the Jews as you can get. But she knew there was a place where God dwelt and she went to that place to the temple and it says that she did not depart from the temple it kind of implies she lived there she had no place she had no husband she had no son she had no body she had no place she was helpless she was hopeless she went to the place where God was and she put herself under the wings of God's refuge and she served God with fastings and prayers night and day. If she was in her mid-20s and now she's in her 80s, 60 years. Do you understand what had happened in 60 years? Somehow, when she put herself under the refuge of God, day by day, God, the almighty God that she placed her trust in, had taken care of her day by day for as close as I can calculate, 60 years years she had no one she had no place she was helpless she was hopeless and she put herself under the refuge of God and day by day I don't even know how God take took care of her and now at the end of her life it says in verse 38 that in that moment when the Christ child came and Simeon testifies of this child being the Messiah, the Savior of the world, she comes in that instant 
a prophetess, one who the Holy Spirit is operative in, and she gives thanks to God, and she spoke of him to all those who look for redemption in Jerusalem. She looked for redemption. Anna waited in faith and hope for something greater. And for all of those years, God had taken care of her. And and that's quite a testimony. But what occurred to me this week as I studied this is, (laughs) no, there was something greater. It's one thing to say that day by day, God for 60 years has taken care of me when I had nobody and I had nothing. But that day, the redemption of Israel came to the temple. And it took it to a whole different level. I told all the backstory to get to this point that the Redeemer came from Bethlehem. I need you to see that geographically. That just as David had moved from Bethlehem to Jerusalem, just as the shepherds had taken the sheep for sacrifice all of those years from Bethlehem to Jerusalem, That day, Mary and Joseph brought the Savior, Jesus, from Bethlehem to Jerusalem. And there were those who were looking for the redemption of Israel, Simeon and Anna. And I love this. Of all people, it was the helpless widow, the outsider, who had put herself under God's wing, that after 60 years of his provision day by day, finally encounters her eternal Redeemer in Jesus Christ. For the woman who had no son of her own, God gives her his son. And Jesus grows and he becomes a man. 33 years later, he comes back to Jerusalem. It was God's place. If you wanted to encounter God, then that was the place that you ought to go. And so Jesus comes back to Jerusalem, and there he becomes the sacrificial lamb to provide eternal redemption to the helpless and the hopeless.
And that place, not on the Temple Mount, the place of the cross just outside the walls of Jerusalem, becomes God's place of sacrifice. And all the hopeless and all the helpless who go there and put themselves under God's refuge find eternal redemption. You know, I think the testimony of of Anna is that anticipation is not just waiting in faith but it's hoping in something greater. And I, I thought of these parallels, and I want to close with this, that it was one thing for Ruth, those days of the barley feast, feast uh, harvest, to be provided for day by day for Boaz. <laughs> but Ruth needed more. She needed a kinsman redeemer. She needed a relationship. <laughs> She didn't just need somebody that would provide for her today. No, she needed for somebody to provide for her from then on. She needed a kinsman redeemer. Do you get it? Anticipation is, yes, waiting for in faith, but hoping for something greater. And I think of Anna in parallel terms that all those years God provided for her in the temple but one day, she needed more. She needed an eternal Savior. And I realize for us today, in the midst of the Christmas season, that uh, we too live in days of anticipation, a season of anticipation. Yes, and even on this side of the birth and the cross, we still wait in faith, trusting and hoping that there is something greater. And yes, the call for all of us today in this room is that we would go to the place where God has provided redemption that is at the foot of the cross. And there the simplicity is that we, we place our faith in the sacrifice that was provided not by lambs that have been brought from Bethlehem but by the very Son of God God himself who came in the flesh to die for our sins the only way of salvation if we put ourselves under the shadow of the cross but I also want us to know and many of us in this room I know have placed our faith in Jesus Christ and you go, well, why is Christmas a season of anticipation? And we do live that sense of anticipation of those who were waiting for the birth of Jesus. And we celebrate today what Jesus has done, not only by his death, by his birth, but by his death on the cross. But let me just tell you, this Christmas season, we also look forward to God, for God to do something greater. There's something still out there. Uh, there's an eternal home, there's eternity that uh, in the midst of our lives right now um, we long for more and more.
because really on the cross, God started salvation. But we'll only know the fullness of it as we pass into eternity. Amen? Amen. And so today we still, we live in faith and we live in hope. Waiting in faith and hoping for something greater. And uh, that's what I wanted to share with you this Christmas season. Amen? Amen. Hey, if you will stand this morning and I'm going to pray and we'll be dismissed. Um, this morning, um, we do have our give, save, spin boxes that are out in the foyer. Byron and Madison, is somebody going to be back there? Or do they just pick them up? They look at their name. But if you've kind of already uh, reserved one of those, your name is on it. If not, I think there's extra. I know there's extra. You can pick one of those up, a way to teach your kids about money. And um, also, Brother Neil. Brother Neil and Tana, why don't y'all go to the back? And uh, I know Brother Neil has uh, a CD. Brother Neil, it just makes me cry, though. I'm just honest with you. Your CD just makes me cry. I've already sent that to you. Um, so I have to pick my moments when I actually listen to that, okay? Cause it make, but Brother Neil does have CDs in the back, um, and you are welcome to get one of those. It's just a donation, whatever you would like to give. Uh, and you'll have opportunity to speak with, with Brother Neil and Ton at the back. And the other thing is just uh, the offering boxes are at the back. If you still need to give your offering, are online. And as I've encouraged you this Christmas season to be generous with um, our world mission offering, that the gospel would go into all the world. And so, um, and then just invite you this week. There's no other activities at the church other than Thursday night, which will be our candlelight service at 5. And um, probably ought to last about 40 minutes. You never know with Baptist preachers. Let's pray about that right now. All right, and we'll be dismissed. Father, we thank you for today, and uh, we thank you for uh, the sacrifice that Jesus made as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And uh, Father, we just uh, we pray that you would uh, help us to celebrate the Savior this week and to set our, our eyes on him, and uh, Father, that he would be uh, truly the reason for the season that we pass through. And so, Father, we love you. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for the Savior. And it's in his name, the name of Jesus, that we pray. Amen.